Well, have you ever noticed that if you get something that you really want, it doesn't satisfy? Ever had that experience? There are people who actually get a lot and they aren't satisfied. Um, A great tennis player from the past, Boris Becker, uh, achieved a lot as a tennis player. Um, And he said this, I had won Wimbledon twice, once as the youngest player. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of the movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, and yet they're so unhappy. But I had no inner peace. So guy at the top of his game, number one tennis player in the world, one Wimbledon, millionaire, empty. Sophia Loren, the great actress of years past, said, In my life, there is an emptiness that is impossible to fulfill. What have you set your heart on, and if you have achieved it, or part of it, uh, were you satisfied? Maybe like a dream car, uh, a romantic interest, an ideal job or career, working for a just cause of some kind. This past week, uh, because we were a warming center, I got called by KTVU. They wanted to come and interview me for TV. And so they sent a uh, cameraman out, just one guy. And uh, I didn't end up on the news, by the way, um, in case you were wondering. But it was very interesting talking to this cameraman. And I, and, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. Just say, and I asked him, so how do you like doing this, you know, working in, in TV? He says, well, he says, I'm over it. I'm over it. He, he says, I, I've been doing it for about 15 years. And... Um, you know, it's not what it used to be, and so he says it's a good job, it's easy, I get paid well, but, you know, he's kind of looking maybe to do something different than what he's doing right now. You know, so you can get kind of your, oh, that's kind of glamorous to do something like that, but it doesn't really do it, doesn't really satisfy. You know, there's a focal point for all of us, regardless of our race or our age or our gender, that generates contentment and satisfaction. And if we miss this, we miss the reason for why we're here on earth. So let's, let's take, you know, thinking about our story, take our, our story back to the beginning, okay? Go back to the beginning, and, it, and it's a very simple beginning statement. In the beginning, America. No. In the beginning, uh, the Beatles. No. In the beginning, Joe Montana. In the beginning, Facebook. In the beginning, smartphones. Steve Jobs. No. No, in the beginning, God. God. He predates everything and everyone. He is the center. He's the reason for our existence. To miss him is to miss the reason for why we're here. So in the beginning, God, and God created the heavens and the earth. So he was, and he created, and he made the stuff of the world that we live in. He made us. If there's no God... And, and, and he, there's no God doing what he did, then there's no us. So how could our lives ever work well without him in our life? If we marginalize or forget or deny God, we put our lives off balance. It's kind of like a bad case of vertigo. We can't get balanced. We're hollowed out people. So that's not the only place where it really kind of says, what's the focal point of our life? Throughout the word of God, there's talk about what's first. So if you go to the Ten Commandments, what's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? The first one says, 
you shall have no other gods before me, God said. That's first. God is first. And then later, it goes on, the greatest commandment. What's the first, the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Jesus later said, talking about material things, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be given to you. In other words, he put God as the focal point, the pivot point of our lives, the center. Everything else falls in place around him. You know, there's a great picture. I love this story. Um, it's just a little, little, I, I even taught my grandson how to say his name today. He said, Levi, say Haggai. Haggai. And he was able to do it. Haggai. He got it. You know, he's not even two years old yet. Haggai is this little prophet in the Old Testament that describes people who did not have the focal point in, in place. And because they didn't have it, everything else in their life was very frustrating. And it's such a simple, clear description of historically what was actually happening in people's lives who don't put God in worship first which we have descriptions and commands about doing that. And then you see it playing out in this group of people. So I want us to look at this. And, and, um, and it's going to be, you know, like I said, Haggai, if you, can find, if, you're, if you can find Zephaniah and Zechariah, he's right in between those two. Find the two Zs, you can find H. Okay? It's only two chapters long. I want to read out of chapter 1. And Haggai, here's a prophet. We don't know much about him. He ministered like just four months. You know, he goes down in, in history and all he did was preach for four months. That's pretty cool. That's a lot for not being around very long. But he had a very important message to send. So I'm going to pick it up in the beginning of uh, in, somewhere in verse 1. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say... The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Ever feel that about money in your life? This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. It's the second time he's used that phrase. Think, think, think about your life. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands." Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. 
Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I'm with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheatho, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. All right. So you, you got the problem here. So here's this group of people. We're kind of, we can kind of relate a little bit because we were evacuees this week. You know what it's like to leave your home and you wonder what's going to happen when you come back. You don't know how long you're going to be away. Well, these people were away from their homes and their homeland for close to 70 years. 587 BC or so, Jerusalem fell to Babylon. They destroyed the walls. They destroyed the temple. The people, most of them, the brightest and the best were carried off to Babylon. They left the poor people in Jerusalem. So there's all these people that grew up. Actually, there were older people who died in Babylon. There were younger people who grew up in Babylon. And people who, who never saw Jerusalem, but they were coming back. And there was a, a wave that came first. And when they came back to their homeland, after being away in Babylon for so long, they walked into a city that was, was rubble. What do you do in a situation like that? You know, it's overwhelming. Where do you start? Like when we had our fires, where do you start rebuilding? What do you start with? What's the first thing you do? Like some homeowners are going to have to do now. They're going to have to clear the land. You know, turn off the gas and all the electricity and clear the land. That's what's going to happen up north of us. So these people, what what are they going to do? You know what they did first? And it, it makes sense, you know, rationally. Let's start with our houses. We got to rebuild our homes. So they come back and they start rebuilding their homes. But while they're doing that, they're neglecting the thing that defined them as a people. And the thing that defined them as a people was the temple. God defined the people of Israel. He, they were his chosen people. And if you keep God out of the equation in your life, no matter what situation you're in, things just don't go well. We weren't made to live like that. We were made to live with God at the center, not God forgotten, not God on the periphery, but God in the middle of our lives. And for them, that meant they needed to rebuild the temple. And for 16 years, these people went on, they kind of rebuilt their homes, they came back early. It was like 15, 16 years of just every day, they walked by the temple. There it was, all the rubble, all the stones just lying there, just a complete mess. And do you know what happens? Like what happens in churches in our homes when you have a mess after a while and you just kind of get used to it, don't you, sometimes? You say, well, I'm just going to leave it because that's too much. It's overwhelming. I'm just going to block it out of my mind. Pretty soon you get used to the mustard-colored paint. You know? That 70s look, avocado green and yellow, yellow and orange and... That, that shag you have to rake with a thing. You just get used to it. It's got browns. You know, we just get used to it. That's, they just got used to it. All the while, here's what's happening in their life. And they're not putting two and two together. All the while, they're, they're going to their jobs. And they're, hey, you know, the crops aren't very good. And they weren't very good last year. And they weren't very good the year before. And they weren't very, you know, the, the crops aren't very good. And, and we, we eat food. And it's like, it's like it's not enough. We're not getting our fill. I don't know. It's just not a good year. For the grain, I don't know. And, and they drink and they're not getting quenched in their thirst. And they're putting on, they're not satisfied with their clothes. They're not staying warm. And they're, 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 they're earning money. And it's like, where'd all the money go? It's like, there's too much month at the end of the money. It's just going through their pockets. What is happening? And so God finally tells them, I'll tell you what's happening. Worship's not at the center. And because of that, you can't get no satisfaction. Just like, Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones sang. 
And you try and you try and you try and you still can't get no satisfaction. And you really, and we can't really get it until we have that one central thing, worshiping and honoring God at the center of our lives. Think about it. That was, again, the the house of God was the place of worship. That's what it represented. That's where they went to pray. That's where they went to offer sacrifices for their sins. It was their meeting place for God. Now, it's different today, isn't it? If this building were to burn down, we would not say we've lost the temple. Because the temple today is your body. That's the meeting place today because the spirit of God has been poured out on the earth. The, spirit, the place where we meet God now is in our physical body. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Christians can meet in homes and warehouses and all kinds of things. We don't have to have a temple. We don't need a sacrificial system because it's been taken care of through Jesus' death on the cross. But for them, that's what it meant. The temple was the place where you worship. It had to be central. You know, it's, I, I find it interesting that um, Scripture not only says this, but if you look at geography, do you know the geography of the earth, I believe, also says worship is central? Think about this. Where is Jerusalem located? It's in Israel. Where is Israel located? It's in the Middle East. It's in the Mediterranean. It's right on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a little piece of land about the size of New Jersey. You go east of it, you have Iraq, and you have Iran, and you have, you know, you have Syria, you have Jordan. And below you have Egypt, above you have Lebanon. You go west, you have the Mediterranean Sea. So it's kind of like in the middle. Mediterranean means mid-earth. Mid-earth. You want to know where the middle of the earth is? That's it. Not America. Not Australia, not the North Pole, Mediterranean. In the middle of Israel is Jerusalem. And in the center, the center point of Jerusalem was the temple. So the center of the center of the center is worship. And God has made it so that even in ge- geographically, it's, it's the center point, worship. So we wouldn't forget that. Well, you got to love these people because this is one of those times uh, God's people really got it right. Because they took God's message to heart because they feared the Lord. And with a stirred up spirit, they started the work. You know, they, they, they changed their work schedule. They, they got the part-time job of going into the hills and one step at a time and one whack with an axe at a time and one load of timber at a time. They took the wood And they took it down into Jerusalem and they started rebuilding their worship center. Didn't look like much at first, but in time it was exactly what God wanted of them. So Haggai came in four months to get the people of Jerusalem who were living lives of no satisfaction and futility and frustration to get them to do the first things first, which is worship. I think it would have been discouraging, challenging, messy, probably felt overwhelming at times. They had overcome 16 years of inertia, which is a psychological barrier. How we haven't done this for 16 years and now we're going to start working on this. You ever had a project like that that was so big you just said, I'm not even going to try. Or how are we going to work? When we did those trees out in the parking lot, we had 30 trees taken out. And we saw all those roots sticking up out of those planter boxes. That's exactly what I thought. I went, oh no, 
I thought they were going to get the roots out. No, you are. How are we going to do this? One hacksaw job at a time. And it took days and days and weeks to get that job done. But, but what's the alternative if you aren't willing to make the adjustments in your life to put worship at the center? The alternative is to live this frustrating, futile life. Where things don't make, things don't balance. Where things are hollowed out. Where you just, you try and try and try, but you can't get the satisfaction. So what about you? Any frustration over where your life is headed or where you are? Are you having a hard time getting traction? You know, do you get just, are you just spinning your wheels at times? Have you checked to see if you're living a life of worship? Kind of look on the dashboard of your life and say, where is worship in my life? It's a great place to start. It's supposed to be the first thing, the center of our lives. So we need to evaluate our lives. Like, like Haggai said, like God said to the people, he says, give careful thought to your ways. Are you dissatisfied with the outcomes? Is God your first love? Do you trust and honor him before anyone else? When you were evacuating your house, if you evacuated your house, what did you take with you? And as you were taking it with you, what did you think about the stuff you left behind? What if your house was about to be burned down? How would that have affected you? Now, as I was walking out of our house last Sunday morning, it's so much nicer, so much calmer this Sunday. It was like driving here today. It was like, oh man, I remember last Sunday. All the traffic on Highway 12, just going, oh man, ugh having everything in my car, journals and photo albums and all the important, you know, financial documents. But as I was, I was driving, kind of looking in my closet, um, I just kind of went, it's okay. It's okay. Less stuff to take care of. <laughs> it certainly simplify my life. But you know, you, you got to think what, what would devastate you if it was taken from you. You know, it's so easy to get off balance. It's so easy for, for us to get at the center of our life. When uh, my, my wife and I were raising our four children at home, and we really wanted to start a college savings account. And I remember I was the guy in charge of finances, and it was just like over and over and over again, we couldn't do it. You know, every month it's like, oh, I oh, can't do it. We can't do it this month. We don't have any money left. Next one. Oh, we can't. I, I thought we would, but something came up and we can't. That money's gone. It happened over and over and over. Finally, I was so frustrated. My wife and I were out of town and we were driving back. And I said, you know what? I need to tell her about what's going on inside of me because I was getting stressed and anxious. And I was frustrated. And I said, Donna, you know, I'm really getting frustrated with this whole college savings thing. I feel like I'm trying to manage it and it's not working. I said, would you be okay if I just let it go? And if it's going to happen, God's going to do it. Not us, not me. If it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But I got to get rid of this anxiety and worry inside of me. And she's like, of course, I don't want you to feel like that. Just, yeah, yeah. So I said, okay, I I lay it down. I mean, verbally, out loud, I lay it down. You know what happened? It was like the next month we started saving for college. Just like, boom, boom. Let it go. Let God be the center of your financial picture instead of trying to be the one to do it. 
and it happened. So give it some thought. Give it some thought. We need, to, we need to honor and love God first. How can we do that? These are in your notes if you want to write these down. Number one, offer yourself to God. Your thoughts, your strengths for service, your attitude at work, your gratitude, your finances, your time. A lot of times in worshiping and loving God first, it's not adding another thing. It's just doing what you're already doing differently. So you go to work and you have a different attitude about the way that you work. Or you already have money and so you say, I'm gonna, this is the way I'm going to honor God with my finances. Okay? So you think about those things. How can I use my strength? How can I take care of my body so that my body can be a useful tool in God's service? I'm going to love him, honor him with my body. That's my physical, that's my act of worship. The second thing to do, let's look at this. In fact, wait a second. Let's go back to Romans 12, 1. Let's read this together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay. So give your body and what, what you're responsible for to him. Second thing is this. Come prepared to worship regularly and to encourage others. So we worship in our life, daily life, by ourselves, but we worship also when we come together. That's a very important part that we do that. Let's read these scriptures together. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So it's like you come with something, you have a song to give, something happened in your life, a testimony, you have that to give away to somebody. Then the next one. And let us consider how we spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. All right, so in worship, it's like show up. If you need to cut something out of your life, then you cut something out of your life. You got to say, you know, hey, I got to make an arrangement here. What is the most important thing to me? Is it 49er football? Or is it being with God's people? Um, is it fishing? Or is it being with God? You know, what is the, what's the priority? Remember, worship first and everything else in your life tends to get satisfied and fulfilled. Otherwise, it's decades of frustration. You know, if you're beat up and you're struggling, put one foot in front of the other and go. You know, it's like, I don't feel like going today. I'm just, it's been so hard. It's like, well, just, just go anyway because God has something for you. Sometimes we come and God works through other people to build us up. And then other times we come because God has given us something and out of that overflow, we give it to other people. Recently, my wife was on a trip. She was out of town for a nurse's conference. And it was Saturday night. I think her colleagues were going out to dinner or something and they had a Sunday morning meeting. And she decided this time, she says, oh, I'm gonna go to church. I'm not gonna go out to dinner with the gals. I'm just gonna go to church instead because I won't be able to go tomorrow morning. And so she found a church down in San Francisco and she said as she was going to church that she said like the Lord was saying to her, you're bringing my presence to this church. You're bringing my presence to this church and I'm pleased. Do you know, do you think about that? Do you know what the word says? The word says Christ lives in us. So when we come, if we're a believer, we come into a group of people, we're bringing Jesus with us into that group. 
And that's so critical because that means he's going to do something because we're together. Something's going to happen. So, by putting worship first, you have the ability to change the atmosphere in your life and your, your level of satisfaction. It's something anybody can do. You don't have to be super smart. You don't have to have a religious background. You just have to believe. Internally, you decide that loving God is the number one priority. And when you do that, your satisfaction in life is going to start to grow. Your sense of security will increase. A growing sense of contentment will spare you from the just a little bit more syndrome. It's a sunnier place to be when you live like this. You know, if, if we don't have God, we don't have worship at the center of our lives, everything else around us will get hollow. Do you know that? Everything else just will lose its meaning. It will not be as good. It doesn't matter if you're a great actress, if you're a great athlete. All of, I hear that testimony from athletes all the time. Tom Brady said it after his third Super Bowl. He's thinking, I need one more. It's not enough. It just goes on and on. It's like, it's like as people, we don't get this. We don't learn it. You will never satisfy yourself if you just try to do it yourself. But if God is at the center, then he makes everything else satisfying. That's the beauty of it. And so I want, I want us to pray. Where's God's spirit stirring you to make any changes? You know, I always have the struggle with what do I do on Saturday nights, you know. I can get into football too much. So it's always during football season. I have to watch that. Anything in your life that, that is pushing the love of God to the side. What do you need to release to have Christ be at the center? So let's just go ahead. Let's bow our heads, if you would. And pray. I want you to think, is there anything that's squeezing him out? Anything else that's taken the center place of your affections? Are there any adjustments that you need to make? You say, you know what? I could do this later or I could cut this out or I could push this to the side. I need to make this the focal point. Honoring God. Worshiping him. You know, that pleases God. And he will please you. Father, we pray that you would stir us up, just as you stirred the Jews up, to love you, to honor you, to serve you, to worship you, to let you be the focal point and the center. And Father, as we do that, that we would experience you satisfying us in ways that we can never satisfy ourselves. So thank you. Help us to walk in this. And Lord, I pray that, that, uh, that your, your, your joy and your, your love and your peace would take on a greater degree, be a, a greater measure of it in our lives. Greater contentment because of it. Thank you, Lord. Go with us. I pray that uh, you'd strengthen us for what you have ahead in this week. And that we would know and experience your face shining upon us. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Amen. If you'd like any prayer 
personally, um, Donna's up at the front if you'd like that this morning. God bless you.